0: Well, today we're going to continue our series from the book of James. And James has a very simple message. Put your faith into action. Put your faith into action. James wrote his book early on in the life of the church. And apparently they had this problem back in the day where people would say stuff and then not live like it. It's totally changed since then. But back in the day... People would say they believed, can you believe this? They would say they believed one thing and then live in a completely different way. Thankfully, we figured that out hundreds and hundreds of years ago. No, right? That's how, I mean, is there anybody in this room who's not a hypocrite? Right? Just the one, just Tony. There you go. There you go. And his wife has now left him. All right, so... Right? That's the problem. How do I get it from believing it to actually living it? Right? James calls us out to live our faith. And you know, my first reaction, this is kind of defensive. But I'm reminded of something. James, who writes this book, is Jesus' half-brother. And you might think, oh gosh, that must have been terrible for him. Can you imagine his mother? Why can't you be more like your brother? Right? And he's like, uh, not everyone's the Messiah, mom. Right? But I actually think it would be pretty great to be Jesus' brother. Do you know why? Because he's Jesus. It's great to be his everything. And I imagine that some of what James is writing to us today, and the book of James feels like Proverbs, feels like a bunch of collected wisdom. I think a lot of what he's writing about today are things that he saw Jesus do. He saw Jesus live this way, and then he tells us, here's how you handle this. Here's what Jesus did in that situation. Here's how I watched him handle it in our house. And I like to imagine that James has that in his mind. So James is writing to the church in Jerusalem, but it's kind of a, um, to the church that was in Jerusalem, I should say. But something happened, right? The, The church had come together in Jerusalem and things were going great. And then persecution happened. And when persecution happened, the church scattered. And so James chapter 1 verse 1 tells us he's writing to the scattered tribes. They call it the diaspora. When all the Jews get scattered around, these Jewish Christians get scattered around the world. And what happens to you when you have to relocate? Imagine that you had to relocate and you had to move to Ohio tomorrow. Or to Canada. Or to Brazil. Or somewhere else, right? But it's it's not 2021 and you can have the internet. It's 2,000 years ago. What happens to you? What do you lose? You lose your job, right? You may not speak the language where you go. You lose your family. You lose your family land. You lose your protection. You lose your safety. And now you're in this new place. And maybe there's a handful of you there who are trying to follow Jesus. And you know how many churches are in your town? One. So how do you get along with each other matters. You can't just go down the street. You can't just go to your family. You had to learn how to work it out. And he says, look, you have to put your faith into practice, especially in this situation. And here's the thing we are not designed to live as lone ranger Christians. The scripture does not know a Christian who isn't involved in a faith community. I hear people tell me all the time, I'm just going to follow God on my own. How does that go? How many of you guys have said, I'm just going to follow God on my own? Six months later, it's gone. And so we are currently living in a time when we, like those in the diaspora, have been fragmented and divided, separated and isolated. And yet, we're designed to do this faith life together. We need each other to walk with Jesus. We need our team, even the ones we disagree with, especially the ones we disagree with. Because sometimes it's those people that bring out the rough edges that need to change in us. So we're going to pick up right where we left off, uh, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Here's what he says to these people living scattered under persecution. He says this, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. desires. Anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. That sounds obvious, right? But how often do we try it? We never get what God wants by being angry. And I think the distinctive here is important. Man's anger, human's anger. What God is angry about and what people get angry about are very different things. God's anger is righteous. It's useful. It's aimed at evil, but human anger is small and selfish, and prideful. So, how do we get angry? James says we often get angry because we don't listen. How many of you have ever watched two people argue? Have you ever watched two people argue? Right. I, this is part of the great part of my job, as I get to watch people argue all the time. I had a couple uh, not too long ago sitting in my office. And, he's, and he's, we're, they're having this conversation, and she says, I'm mad at you because when I was sick and in the hospital, you didn't stay with me. You went to work instead. Right? And so she's telling him this, and how is he responding? Is he going, that's exactly what happened You're right? No, he's defending himself. I, well, I had to go to work. How do you think we pay the bills? Your mom was there also. Your friend was there also. What am I supposed to do? And so did she just go, you're right. Those are valid reasons. Is that what happened? Of course not, right? She had to go up a ladder, didn't she? Right? I did this in first service with Maria Salvador. It was great. I'm going to see if I can do this again. Tony, be my guy, okay? We're going to have an argument. We're going to start this. You tell me you're upset that I didn't come visit you in the hospital. I got Tony over over here watching at home, pretend you can hear me. Hey, why didn't you visit me in the hospital? Well, I had to go to work, and I had to do other kinds of stuff. So so I'm not important to you? Look, look, look! your mom was already there. You didn't need me there, Right? Look, I can't be everywhere at once. Who's supposed to pay these bills, Tony? All right, not bad. Maria is way better than you, okay? Now we're going to argue about that. Tony's marriage, Tony and my marriage is now on the rocks, right? Right, we don't listen to each other. And so now i got to go up the ladder and i got to argue some more. And so James has this simple but powerful advice He says, be quick to listen. He says, be quick to hear. I love that phrase, right? He says, quick to listen. It's a posture. Uh, When I play sports, right, you see those, the quickest guys were always the guys who were up on their toes, right? They're ready to move. He says, a quick listener has a posture that I'm interested in what someone else is saying and trying to understand what they're saying. One thing I learned about in a class years ago has been like magic in my life. It's called reflective listening. Are you guys familiar with reflective listening? Handful in the room? Reflective listening says instead of, here's what people do when when they're talking to you, right? Someone's talking to you and they're saying something and they're telling you a problem. Most of us are formulating the answer to their problem in our head and waiting for our turn to say it. How often does that work? Never. But we keep doing it, right? Reflective listening says, when someone else is talking, shocker, shocker, listen to what they're saying, and then reflect it back to them. <laughs> There's healing happening right over here, right? I love when people do that, and they go, you do that. Instead of saying, I do that, they go, you do that all the time, right? And so if someone says to you, and this, I did this in my office today, she goes, I, I said, try that again, buddy. And she goes, I was in the hospital, and instead of staying with me, you went to work, And he goes, you felt abandoned that when you were in the hospital I didn't stay with you. And she goes, yes, yes. And then she didn't have to pile on. She didn't have to get angry. And we had another conversation, right? And he could actually, later on, they were able to talk about what that would look like in the future. It was crazy, right? Just reflected back. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a little assignment here. And I want everyone to play along, even at home, okay? Grab up a person who's next to you. If you don't know somebody make a friend here, and I want you to tell them something. We're going to practice reflecting back what they just said to you, and then take turns the other way. Does that make sense? Okay. We got any questions about that? Um, Of course you weren't. That guy's not listening. Turn to your brother, tell him something, and he's going to reflect it back to you, and then back the other way, right? Ready? Go. Talk for a minute. If you haven't switched yet, switch. All right, all right, all right. If you were in my office, I'd make you play for like 10 minutes, but come back, come back. It's different, isn't it? It's different than trying to think about what you're going to say back. I find it kind of freeing when someone's talking to me about something difficult. And I think, I don't know the answer to this. That I don't have to know the answer to it. As someone's talking to me, I can just reflect back what they're saying. The weird thing is, people rarely want your advice. Even if they've asked for it, they don't really want it. Unless they've asked several times. And I know it helps me sometimes if I'm, he goes, be slow to speak. I want to get in there, right? Well, I've got the answer to that. And someone's telling me a problem. I've got the answer to that, right? He says, be slow to speak. So I can reflect back. And then if I don't, I don't have the answer yet. Because how could I possibly have gotten enough information in the two things they told me to give the answer to their question? How arrogant am I to think that I know the answer to someone else's problem in 30 seconds or a minute? Yeah, we do it all the time. You know what? You should try for that. Really? Right? And so one thing that's helpful, uh, and I know I'm rarely helpful if I give that advice, is I'm better off to say, someone tells me, oh, I'm having problems with my kid. As if I could understand all of that in 30 seconds and tell them how to fix it. I'm having problems with my kid. And I'll say, and one thing that helps me is to say, tell me what you've already tried. Tell me what you've already tried. And then they'll usually list off things I was about to tell them to do. Right? Tell me, okay. And then you know what the next question is? Tell me some more things you've tried. And I'll listen. Change the conversation. We're not having an argument now. They don't think I'm obnoxious. And then the, the, the question I do ask how can I help you? How can I help you? My advice probably isn't going to help you, but maybe I can, I had somebody in my office this week and he's telling me about a really difficult situation. And in the middle of that conversation, I'm thinking, I don't know how to answer this. I'm not in your world. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to fix this. And I'm feeling that stress. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I just listened to him. And after a while, I said, how can I help you? And he goes, man, I just wanted to tell you. Done. Right? He goes, can you pray for me? Yeah. I can pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. You know what he found out? He found out, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who ever dealt with this. Sometimes that's what people are looking for, not advice from me on how to fix a problem I don't know anything about. Because you know who's different than your kids? My kids. And my kids are different than their kids. And your problem and your work's different than my work. And your mom's different than my mom. And your mother-in-law's different than my mother-in-law. Right? We all, and your, your school stuff is harder than my school. It's different. But I can hear you. I can be quick to listen. I can be slow to speak. He says, slow to become angry can keep us out of something. This verse makes me think of a story I heard about a conversation between a a famous Christian speaker named Dallas Willard and an author named John Ortberg. Willard has since passed away. He was kind of famous as a philosopher and theologian, wrote a book on spiritual disciplines that really benefited me. Near the end of his life, John Ortberg went to Dallas Willard and he said, give me some counsel for my life. And they talk for a while. He says, Give me some counsel. Give me, counsel. Give me the one thing, Dallas. And Dallas is just asking him questions and listening to him. Give me one thing. And he goes, All right, all right. Never be in a hurry. And he goes, Oh, that's good. Never be in a hurry. Never be in a hurry. I love that. Never be in a hurry. I'm going to write a book about that. Great. Never be in a hurry. Write that down. Never be in a hurry. Never be in a hurry. Oh, that's awesome. OK, what else he got? And he goes, That's it. That's it. He says, Never be in a hurry. Take your time with God. Take your time with people. Haste is a tool of the enemy. He's essentially quoting James here. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Take your time. How many things that I'm angry about immediately, I find out later I had no reason to be angry about. And now I have a problem because I was angry about them. We can stay here all day. Let's move on. Verse 21. Thank you. He says, therefore, if you want to live this life in the diaspora of getting along with people, of growing in your relationship with God, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He says, how should we live? He says, well, the first thing you've got to do is put aside filth and wickedness. Get rid of those things that don't fit with following Jesus. It's a physical picture of picking up and throwing aside. It's picking up a behavior and moving it and saying, I don't do that anymore. Have you ever done that thing uh, where you're at the table and you're eating some chips out of a bag and you've been done for a while, but you're still eating the chips? But you don't have the moral fortitude to put the chips away. And so you wait for the next person to come through the room Honey, honey, come here. What, what? Take these chips. Hide them. Hide the chips. I can't handle them. Right? And she's putting them away. They're calling. Gary, Gary. Right? Put them away. He says, we can do that with behaviors. He says, put them away. My uh, old disciple, Nick Korova, said "You you have to make a game plan not to sin. He goes, stay out of the bar, don't watch that stuff that drags you down. His illustration was always, don't fall off the cliff. There was one particular thing I was struggling with, and I was always falling off the cliff. Oh, I fell off the cliff again this week, Nick. Oh, you did? Really? Okay, get back up. Ah, oh, I fell off the cliff again. Oh, okay, okay, get back up. Then he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He goes, what if you didn't walk so close to the cliff? Because <laughs> it seems like you're always falling off the cliff at the same time. Man, when would you fall off the cliff? Uh, 2 a.m. Yeah, 2 a.m. It's like, maybe just go home. Maybe just go home and go to bed, right? Maybe stay away from the cliff. Maybe stay out of those things that are going to give you a problem. I had to find this out. I'm sure many of you have found this out. I find out that I get really mad when I go on Facebook. I don't like it. I feel like I have to go on there because that's how I figure out if people have had babies or like someone died, so i got to go on there and look at it once in a while. But I took it off my phone because I found out this. If I had it on my phone, it would send me that little terrible notification, and I'd read it, and I'd get annoyed with someone about an issue that I don't care about, And and then I'd get annoyed about whatever someone else said about that thing back to them. They're like, someone else commented on a post you commented on. Who cares? I did. I had to take it off my phone so I could just get in there, pregnant, pregnant, dead, sorry, pregnant, right, and get out. Some of you can get on there and not have it drive you crazy and get you mad. I'm not judging you. Some of you look, I can, I can go into a bar and not get drunk. I don't go to casinos because I used to gamble, and I'd like to stay married, right? <laughs> there are things we got to say, i got to put that stuff away because it's taking up room in my life. He says, put it away. Why? Not just to put it away and go, because look, if I put those chips away, I still know they're there. And I can kind of I can kind of gut up for a while and avoid them, and then I'm going, oh gosh, let me. the way. He goes, You gotta put them away and then put something else in their place. He goes, and you have to be humble to get the something else. And the something else is the word of God. He says, the thing you put in your place, you gotta get humble. You gotta say, I can't do this on my own. I need what God can do for me. I gotta get humble. So I can put the word of God in the place of that filth and wickedness and all that other stuff. Because there is nothing, nothing like spending regular, daily, intimate time in the word of God. There is nothing like hearing from him, listening to him, reading his word. The word of truth, it's practical, it rescues us. Is every day that you spend quiet time with God, whiz, bang, change your life? No, but the accumulation of truth will grow you. If we receive it regularly, it will transform our minds, which changes our actions, which changes our character, which as Dee puts it, last week will change our destiny. Two weeks ago I got invited by Compassion International to like a pastor's retreat thing. And so I had four days of no responsibilities, and I went out every morning in this beautiful spot to go sit with the Lord. No clock, uh, just me and God, a time to read and reflect and respond to him. And you know what I'm like after four days of hearing from the Lord? I'm like the best version of me there is. I like myself so much better when I'm walking with Jesus. I am such a better husband, such a better father, such a better pastor when I'm walking with Jesus. I'm better to, like, be the guy you deal with at Aldi. I'm better on the phone. I'm better bumping into me. I'm better to have done something terrible. I'm better softball player. It all works when I'm walking with Jesus. I don't mean better, like, at playing softball. Like, I mean not sinning as I play softball, right? And so, look, I made a little goal for myself this summer. I'm going to ask for your accountability. Maybe you want to join me in this. Sorry, I keep yanking my pants around. Is this. I said, I know about this about myself. If I get in the Word regularly, I am better off. And if I get outside with God, something about being outside with God is so good for me. And I had to, do, I had to like, figure this out because I'm like, I can't. Okay, I'm old. My eyes are no good. I need um, cheaters. But, so I usually read my Bible on my phone. But what also is on my phone every piece of information that ever existed, right? Every other thing. You know, let me just check the bank account real quick. Let me see how the Yankees did last night. Let me see what's going on with the Knicks. Let me see what's on Gino's Facebook, whatever it is, right? And so I'm like, or I could get a paper Bible and some glasses and leave my phone inside and go outside and sit on my porch and be with the Lord. And that's my commitment to myself this summer is that I'm going to spend every day some amount of time outside with the Lord because I like who I am better anybody want to join me in that you can join me in that okay yeah you can you gonna clap for that yeah all right all right so far we're good right we like this sermon so far we're doing okay yeah we're gonna get it's gonna get hard so yeah you're not gonna like the back part um he says put sin aside and pick up the word and now he says look he's here says this is the hard part right The next part is the difference between uh, people who really walk with Jesus and people who don't. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. I mean, Nike should pay James royalties. He says, just do it. Hearing the word means nothing if we don't put it into practice. And we all, we all know this, right? We like practitioners If I said, hey, let's go have a gourmet meal, we can have it cooked by someone who's never cooked but who's studied many cookbooks, or we're going to have it cooked by someone who's cooked in a gourmet restaurant for 20 years. Who do you want? I want the practitioner, right? James saw many people who heard the word but then immediately turned around and lived like they didn't. The old, let's worship God in the sanctuary and fight it out in the parking lot, right? He says it's like a man who looks in the mirror, but when he goes away, he forgets what he looks like. And that word forget really spoke to me. He says, The mirror shows you your true self. James says, When we read the word, it tells us what's really true about us, and then we go out into the world and we forget it because the world deceives us. In the word of God, what's true about us? Child of God, ambassador for Christ, citizen of heaven a chosen race, a holy people, a new creation, a co-heir with Christ. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm imbued with gifts by the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I turn out to the world. All of these things are true. And I turn to the world, and the world says, "Mm, not tall enough, not rich enough, wrong color, bad background. The world comes into conflict with the Word. Years ago, Liz and I went to the Renaissance Fair, A friend of ours worked there. He said, come up to the Renaissance Fair for a day. And there used to be a place, a Renaissance Fair, called Vegetable Justice. Anybody familiar with Vegetable Justice? You'd walk up, and there was a guy behind, like, a piece of plywood. He'd stick his face out, and he would insult you. And if you got mad enough at him, you'd buy some rotten vegetables and throw them at his face. This sounded like a good time to me. I throw a nice tomato. I'm like, you know what? Come on, Vegetable Justice guy. And so he's been making fun of people, and I'm watching him do this. And I'm like, man... If I walk up, what's this guy going to make fun of about me? He has five seconds. What's he going to say, right? Yeah, the eyebrows, right? Obviously, he's going to make fun of my size. So I'm like, no way, no way. And I have this thing I can do that's unique to my position and ability. I have my outside preacher voice, and I'm not afraid to talk in public. And so as we walk up, I say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Sir, I know it's your job to mock people based on five seconds of their appearance, and I know that you're obviously going to make fun of my size because you don't know me, sir. It's not the worst thing about me. There are far worse things. And in fact, you could make fun of one of the things that might inspire me to change. One thing that's and people are looking at this, they think it's part of the show, right? And look, I feel terrible that I even did it, Okay. This guy has made choices that led him to having rotten vegetables thrown at him as a job, right? Things aren't going well for him. How'd it go today, sweetie? Well, I got hit by 17 pieces of celery, nine tomatoes, and a squash, right? And so I said, look, let me tell you some information about me that might help me improve. I'm a terrible correspondent. My grandfather's been writing. me, I haven't been writing him back. I'd like to be better at that. Perhaps you could work with this. And the whole crowd just goes Quiet. And this poor guy, who has been getting hit with tomatoes all day, just stares for like five seconds like, now i got to deal with this jerk too? And he just goes, fat, right? <laughs> it's funny, right? Not bad. But <laughs> I hit him like three times. Um, here, here's the truth for us. Here's the truth for us. The world only sees what the world cares about, and the world will only ever see what the world cares about. You can develop your character. You can be generous. You can put others first. You can walk with Jesus. You can help people in need. You can pray. You can do every good thing, and you will never have the approval of the world. They will always look at you and go, not the right flavor. Uh, not the right kind of generosity. Ah, caring about the wrong people. Ooh, used the wrong word while feeding people. Ah, right? That's what the world does. And so we can keep going to the world and looking for approval, or we can put that aside and believe the one who died for us, believe the one who designed us, and we can live like he says. We can live like the one who has called us out to be his. And here's the amazing thing about it. This is kind of crazy. We can change by changing on the inside, which changes our outside. But we can also change by changing on the outside, which fuels the change on the inside. You know, oftentimes we'll say, you know, I made this one mistake that cost me for years. The opposite is also true. One moment of obedience God can take and grow into an orchard. One moment of saying, you know what? I will help with that. You know what? I'll I'll serve with the kids. You know what? I'm going to help give away the food. One moment of obedience, and God will take that and nurture it and grow it and water it. One moment of generosity. You know what? I'm going to adopt a compassion kid. Because you know what? It just takes one moment of obedience and from the outside in, he'll do that work. He'll do it inside out, outside in. God doesn't care where he starts. He doesn't care when he starts. He'll start from anywhere, with anybody, at any time, and he'll blow it into a flame. He will. James says, just give me one second of obedience. Just do something. Just do any act of obedience to God. Serve in some way. Give in some way. That one little seed, he will grow it, right? He says, See, faith the size of a mustard seed. One little piece of it, and God will work with it. You know, some people say fake it till you make it. That's almost right. I know it doesn't rhyme. But if we live it, it reminds us to be it. It works both ways. Look, we can find every reason not to be involved in fellowship. I I watched my dad do this. Um, When my mom died, he found every reason not to go to church. I remember him telling us, well, you shouldn't go to church when you're sad. It brings everybody down. You shouldn't go to church when you're angry. You shouldn't go to church when you're hurting. And so he stayed away and stayed away. And God was out of his life for many, many years. But where are you supposed to be when you're sad and you're angry and you're isolated? With your people. This is the place to go to. Even if you don't feel like it. You know, let me just, I can't tell you, I have to, <laughs> I said this that sounded terrible. We have a men's group here Monday night, 7 o'clock. Half the time by 7 o'clock, I want to go home. I don't always want to, I, and I don't want to be with those, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I got to hear Bob Henry talk about the, all that discourse for two hours again, right? Or that's a men's group joke, okay, right? And I'll go, ah, oh, man, I'll drag myself to men's group. And you know what happens at men's group? Jesus happens at men's group. I make the one decision to sit down there, and I'm like, huh, well, that's kind of cool. Well, that was a neat, fulfilled prayer. Oh, well, that's the word of God. I like worshiping with these guys. Huh, I'm not alone. That was really neat to be in the Word tonight. Outside in, right? Even if I got there out of obligation, I left blessed. The Lord can take any little thing and move that on, right? So here's what James says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. Um, here's what he says, right? Um, he says these two last things, that are, one's a warning and one's an encouragement, okay? And I, I think are really practical for the people who are living in a diaspora. Uh, here's what he says. This is verse 26 and 27. He says, uh, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Tell us how you really feel, James, right? He says, let me warn you about something. If you don't put away that junk, it'll rip you up. He goes, if you, if you don't take it seriously and deal with it, he goes, you know what brings down churches? Gossip. Lewd talk. Talk. Because it'll rip you up from the inside, it'll create anger, create problems, there goes your church, right? And I don't sit up here and preach to you and go, oh, I've never made this mistake. I'd say four of my top nine regrets are things that I said to be funny that hurt people. Sometimes gossip, sometimes just lewd, broken, whatever that crap is, sorry, right? Whatever that stuff is, I said it and I hurt people with it and I regret it. And he says, put that stuff away. Put that stuff away. If someone tries to gossip with you, just be like, look, I, I'm not interested in that. If they bring it again, change the subject, they bring it again, say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't be in this relationship. I don't do this. Usually one, I don't talk about that kind of stuff, is enough for people. That's a nice reminder to them, hey, okay, I don't want to do that either. He says, stop eating at each other. He goes, here's the thing he says, is, look, as in the church, you can get focused on yourselves. You know why churches gossip? Because they're not busy enough doing the work of god they get involved in their own little he goes don't do that instead verse 27 he goes don't do that gossiping stuff religion that god our father accepts he goes religion that's worthless is the gossiping and the crazy and the bad talk he says religion that god our father accepts is pure and faithless is this look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself free uh keep oneself from being polluted by the world he goes you know what you should do instead of gossiping and arguing help somebody how about that? Because you know what you could do? Hey, you know, you're in this new town. You know who needs help in your new town? Widows and orphans. How do I know they're there? They're there in every town. There's always people who need help. Because get together and help them. It fixes a lot of what's wrong. You know, people that I don't get along with, if I serve alongside of them, it'll fix that relationship a lot of times. Someone who I think is a jerk who comes out and distributes food with us, I go, I guess they're not that much of a jerk. Now, oh, that jerk, look the way he gives people food. Mm. Man, that person who tells the kids about Jesus, the worst, right? says, You can spend your time, or you can spend your time doing the work of the Lord. He goes, Put it into practice. My desire for us as a church is that we be a church of practitioners. People who practice living with Jesus, who it's out in our life. Look, it doesn't earn you salvation. Salvation creates that in us. I'm not saying that. I'm saying put it into practice, put it into practice, put it into practice. Be a theologian. Get the belief right. Absolutely. And then always put it into practice. We can get stuck saying, I'm going to figure out the right to do something for the Lord. The thing I see people grow over the years, here, I've been in ministry 20-some years, right? People who grow are people who do something beyond Sunday. They get in a small group, they serve in a the ministry. They go on a mission trip, they serve somewhere. They do something else for the Lord. They connect somewhere else. I want to encourage you, take a next step of practicing your faith. You don't have to do it here at New Hope. I mean, we have lots of opportunities here. We, we need uh, some kids, people for the summer want to come tell kids about jesus great thing to have in your pocket when you stand before god by the way i'm not saying it's going to earn you salvation but when he's like what'd you do with your life told kids about jesus good it's a good one right some of you could use a little bit of that right doesn't have to be here you got plenty of opportunities here but you could do it somewhere do something else for the kingdom not just sunday morning put it into practice it's weird when we start living out our faith it changes how we think about it too. We read the word like people who are reading it like an instruction manual, not as some historical document. If I'm reading the word to find out how to live, I read it really differently. Imagine if you were like putting together, you know, like uh, we just put together uh, some furniture, right? And if, I, if you gave me like the instructions to furniture and I just read them for fun, would I, would I, how much would I know it? Oh, okay, there's a bunch of things in there, right? But if I'm actually trying to use them to put together some furniture, what am I doing? I'm cursing the person who wrote it in Swedish. No, I'm, I'm going to read it very differently. I'm going to read it with action in mind. Hey, read that again. Hey, go back and do step two again. All right, read that again. My, fa- my daughter faith always helps me. Read that one again. Okay, wait, how many screws? Where do they go? Okay, That That didn't work right. Hang on a sec. They gave us the wrong stuff. Oh, no, it's over there. Okay. I think we should read God's Word like an instruction manual for the practice of our lives. We'll read it differently. I mean, go back to the beginning of James here, where we were. Can we roll back to 119? I'm sorry, I didn't do this last service. Go back to the slow to speak, slow to anger, that one. Imagine if you were like, man, I keep having problems because I keep getting into arguments with people. I know no one, that that hasn't happened to anybody here. But imagine you said, let me go back to this and go, hang on, maybe I should read this instructionally. How should I live? Okay, I'll try to be quick to listen, okay? What does that look like? Let me try this, let me try that. Let me come back, quick to listen, okay, it's a posture. All right, slow to speak, okay, all right, okay, I'm going to try to not just throw my stuff out there. I'm going to take a minute, learn about someone. Slow to anger, okay, let me figure this one out. Where else in scriptures to talk about you know, getting rid of my anger? How do I deal with that? I'm reading like an instruction book. Man, it's going to sink in. New hope, let us be practitioners of the word of God. It will bless us and bless others and keep us out of the junky, gossipy, fighting each other stuff. We have been separated, isolated too long. Let us come together around the work of God and be practitioners of it. Let me pray that for us. Father God, thank you that you meet us in this place. Lord, we love you and trust you. I pray that we be practitioners of your word, Lord, that we take steps of faith towards you, that one little moment of obedience, Lord, would take us into a service or a group where we can grow or a place where we can be with you. Father, we love you and trust you. I pray for our unity as a church. Help us to cling on to you and to each other as we come out of this time of division and brokenness. Lord, we love you and trust you and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I asked a couple of our children's people, because we do need some children's help over the summer. Uh, We're giving Nikki Slavnik a much-deserved break after seven years. She's getting like a month off. She's going to come back to us. But my daughter Grace and Katie DuVernay are going to fill in for her. We could use a little help with some children's stuff this summer. They're going to be out in the hallway right there. Let them know you're willing to help. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a fantastic Sunday. God bless you guys.